All right, we come now to the preaching of the Word of God. And so I want to invite you this morning to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and join with me as we pray for God's blessing on His Word. God's blessing on His Word. Let's pray together. Lord, we come now. Lord, we gather today to hallow Your name. To lift it up, Lord. To lift You up, God. God, thank You for the help that You have given us this morning, Lord. For giving us a glimpse of Your glory. God, for helping us to declare the praise, Lord, that is due your name. And we do it again now, God. You are a great king. High above all, Lord, high above every created thing. Lord Jesus, you are king and you are Lord in every way. You're the firstborn from the dead. You're the king of kings and Lord of lords. You are the head of your church. You have the name that is above every name. And truly, Lord, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. God, we ask that you, Lord Jesus, the exalted Christ. That you would meet with us now as we come to your word. Lord, as a mighty king, we ask that you would lift up your scepter this morning and sanctify your bride, that you would edify your church, that you would fill our souls with truth, that you, Lord Jesus, our teacher, would fill our mind with truth and with light and our hearts with encouragement. Lord, we ask that we, your people, that you would fill us, Lord Jesus, with the fruits of righteousness that come through you to the glory and praise of our God in heaven. Lord, come now, we pray, and bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, our text this morning will be found right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to begin reading God's word in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 9. This is God's word to Grace Community Church. This is the most important thing you'll hear in the next hour. Let's read this passage together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word to this local church. 
this morning. And our focus will be on those last two verses that we read together, verses 14 and 15, which means that our passage today is about Christian forgiveness. This is what this passage is about. This is what we're about to dive into together, that Christians are called to forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, Jesus has already alluded to this theme in the Lord's Prayer in that fifth petition back in verse 12. Jesus instructs us to pray that the Father would forgive our debts, but he slips this phrase in there, the end of verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so Jesus assumes that his followers are going to be those that forgive their debtors. And yet, out of all the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, all six, Jesus circles back to this one, that fifth petition, and doubles down on this theme of forgiveness that we find in verses 14 and 15. And I want to encourage us this morning that Jesus, one of the reasons Jesus does this is that Jesus knows our nature. He knows our nature. In other words, he assumes that we will forgive as followers of Christ, but he also knows that we're going to need some exhortation and some instruction on his call to us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Now, what do we have in these two verses? And some of you may have noticed this, even as we read that there's some conditional language in verses 14 and 15. Conditional meaning, if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. And so Jesus clearly links in these two verses God's forgiveness of us with our forgiveness of those who have sinned against us. Now, he says this in two different ways. He gives us the condition in two different ways. It's stated positively in verse 14 that if we forgive others, then we are assured that God will forgive us. It's given to us in the form of assurance. If you do this, we can be assured that God will forgive us. That same condition is stated negatively in verse 15. This is just the plain sense of the passage. If you don't forgive negatively, you can expect that God will not forgive you. Just, just the plain sense. This is what we have in front of us. God's forgiveness is linked to our forgiveness of others. And it's given to us in the form of an assurance that if you do this, God will forgive you. And in the form of a warning. But if you don't do this, God will not forgive you. Now, our aim this morning is twofold. We want to understand this passage, one, and then we want to obey this passage, two. We want to understand and obey. We want to understand the Word of God, but not just merely understand the Word of God. We want to obey the Word of God. And as far as understanding this passage, there's more to this passage than meets the eye. On, on the surface reading of this passage, and we need to understand it this morning. You say, I don't, under, I don't understand. What's the big deal? What do we need to understand here? 
Well, there's a knot in this passage that I want to help us to untie this morning. And that knot is this. How can this conditional language of if you do this, God will forgive you. How can this conditional language square with the gospel of the free grace of God? What do we know about the gospel? We know in the gospel that God promises to forgive us freely, fully, eternally to all who come to Christ, to all who believe the gospel. And yet, how do we square that with this conditional language here of if we forgive or if we don't forgive? So we want to understand this passage this morning. And and specifically, we want to unravel um, any false interpretation that this passage would teach us any form of salvation by works. That the way that we get to heaven is we just forgive everybody who wrongs us. And then if we do that right, God will forgive us. We want to expose that this morning. We want to rightly understand it. And then as Christ's disciples, we're not just you know philosophers at the coffee shop drinking coffee of, of what does this text mean, you know? And we're definitely not those who say, what does this text mean to you? You know, we want to understand what the text means. But we're disciples and we call Jesus Lord. He's our king. That means we want to obey him. We want to render obedience to Jesus Christ. I hope that's your aim this morning. That's my aim as we dig into this passage together. And what this means, just on the surface before we dive in is that one of the places that Jesus exercises his lordship in our life, one of the places where he gives us commandments is how we respond to others who have sinned against us. And so we want to follow him as Lord this morning. Let's begin by defining what forgiveness means. Um, Everything in this passage is contingent on a correct understanding of what this word means, forgiveness. So I'll mention a few things of what it doesn't mean, and then I hope we'll work towards a clear definition of what it does mean. What does forgiveness not mean? Well, forgiveness is not a call to feel good about what is evil. Okay? That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not pretending That sin is righteousness. So don't confuse indifference with forgiveness. Forgiveness is not indifference to right and wrong. It's not oblivious to injustice, to God's law. That's not forgiveness. If you look back in verse 12, sin is defined as debt. And that's a word that's easy for us to grab a hold of. Debt means you owe something. That you owe and you better pay. And our sin, this is one of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways that our sin is described in the word of God is a debt that we owe because of what we've done. And so, forgiveness assumes that we have been wrong. It even assumes that a debt is owed to you for what you have done uh, for what you have done wrong sin is debt well what is forgiveness well what forgiveness is is it means that we cancel the debt that was owed to us if a debt is owed to you for a wrong done forgiveness means that the debt is canceled 
Forgiveness means that we refuse to make the other person pay for what they've done. See the difference here. It's not indifference of, oh, yeah, man, I don't care about that. Never thought twice about it. It's an acknowledging that a wrong has been done and an intentional act of the will and the heart that refuses to make that person pay for what they have done. You could define it this way. It is a disposition that gives payment over to God. It is a disposition that rightly acknowledges that judgment and vengeance belong to the Lord. This is forgiveness. Now we have a lot, a lot of examples of this in the Bible. I want to give you two. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament this morning. Of really clear pictures of what forgiveness means. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn really quick to Genesis chapter 50. And we have this, the end of the Joseph narrative. And we preached through this um, a little over a year ago as a local church. We came through the book of Genesis. And many of you remember this. The sin of Joseph's brothers. They did uh, wicked to their brother. They did wrong to their brother. Um, earlier, I believe it's Genesis 37. They, throw their, they, they wanted to kill their brother but decided there wasn't enough profit in it, so they throw their brother Joseph in a pit, traffic him, sell him into slavery in Egypt. The problem was many years later, after Joseph is a slave in Egypt and a, prince, uh, a prisoner in Egypt, their brother that they greatly sinned against is raised to a position of royal authority in Egypt. And these guilty brothers are brought face to face with the one that they sinned against, and yet this one has received all the authority in Egypt. And in Genesis 50, verse 17, they asked the simple phrase, please forgive the transgression of your brothers. So you see, just, just the simplicity there. They're acknowledging we owe you a debt, and we're really fearful that you're going to pay us back for what we have done. Please wipe it clean. Please cancel that debt. Please forgive the transgression. Of your brothers. And Joseph's response. In this passage. It sheds amazing light. On the nature of forgiveness. On the nature of forgiveness. Because listen. Not only does Joseph forgive his brothers. I want you to notice what Joseph says. In verse 20. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says this phrase. He says, am I in the place of God? Now, I hope that's enlightening for you all across the room that Joseph understands that if someone comes to him seeking forgiveness and if he to withhold that forgiveness, Joseph understands that that would be like him Taking the place of God. It would be like Joseph usurping God's role as judge. And so forgiveness is a disposition that acknowledges that judgment and vengeance belong to the Lord. And this was perfectly demonstrated. That, that heart of forgiveness was perfectly demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about what we know about Jesus. 
There is no one who was ever sinned against like Jesus. No one. Sometimes you hear this phrase thrown around. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, why does all this bad stuff happen to good people? And in the purest sense, that has only happened one time in the history of the entire human race. Why? Because there's only one who was good. And he volunteered for the bad things that happened to him. There was no one who was ever sinned against like Jesus. There was no one who accrued these debts that were owed to him like Jesus. He was the one who was good. And yet 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 tells us his disposition and his heart. It says this, when Jesus, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, Jesus, he did not threaten. This is Christ. This is the one that we worship. When reviled, he doesn't revile back. When he suffers unjustly, he doesn't let them have it and threaten back. This is Jesus. But listen, what does he do? The text says he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is that disposition that he gave that payment over, that debt over to God. He entrusted that God would be the one to deal with those who had wronged him. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is the way of Christ. Therefore, this is the way of Christians. This is the Christian life. This is Christ's uh, teaching. This is his command to how his followers respond to those who sin against him. That when we're reviled, we shouldn't revile back. When we suffer, we shouldn't threaten back. What should we do? We should forgive and we should entrust our souls to the one who judges justly. And we don't have to think about this very long to realize that this response of just giving it to God, giving this disposition to entrust that payment to God, we don't have to think about this very long to understand that this is not natural. There's nothing natural about this. Nothing natural about this, which is why I believe that Jesus circles back to this topic in the Lord's Prayer. In other words, he could have just said, you know, left it like it is in, in the last half of verse 12, but he circles back here. There's something here for us to learn in verses 14 and 15. And what I believe that Jesus is doing here is he's holding out our forgiveness of others as one of the clearest and surest marks of genuine salvation. There's almost nothing as unnatural as forgiving those who have sinned against you. Almost nothing is unnatural as this. And the reason I say this is because we all have this innate sense of justice. We were born with it. And that innate sense of justice teaches us that we should pay for what we've done. 
are actually, how it really goes, is that everybody else should pay for, for what they've done, but for some reason we shouldn't. That's usually how that distorted sense of justice goes, that everybody else should pay for what they've done. And so for that, that sense of justice to be overcome, that natural uh, a sense of justice in our heart, there's a work of grace that has to take place in a human heart. Work of grace that has to take us beyond our nature. It's unnatural to forgive. It's supernatural to forgive. It's, un, it's, it's the most unnatural thing that we can think of when we're sinned against. And so what's going on in the Sermon of the Mount? And we've mentioned this several times that one of the things that's happening in this sermon is the righteousness of the kingdom of God is being revealed. The righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. And so as Jesus is revealing this kingdom standard, what he's doing is he's distinguishing the church from the world. This righteousness is what divides humanity into two separate groups, those who belong and follow Jesus and those who are not. And so we see this as, as the Sermon on the Mount starts. We see this in the Beatitudes. There are those who mourn and there are those who don't. There are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and there are those who don't. There are those who are peacemakers and there are those who are not. And this is another place where Jesus is making this divide. This is part of the righteousness of the kingdom of God is how do you respond when someone sins against you it's one of the surest distinguishing marks of a true follower of Jesus Christ in other words when somebody gets saved this is one of the clearest ways that they are distinguished from the world not just coming to church and singing praise to Christ on Sunday how does that person respond when they're sinned against it reveals something about their character. And so this is why Jesus is circling back to forgiveness in verses 14 and 15. And his thesis here is simple. Simple. Christians forgive those who sin against them. And the negative is this. A failure to do this, a lifestyle of hardened unforgiveness reveals a deep root problem in the human heart. So this is our thesis this morning. Christians forgive those who sin against them. Now, before we dig into that conditional language, I want you to take a step back. And most of us agree that yeah, Jesus teaches it, we should do it. I want us to take a step back and really get a glimpse of how fitting it is that Christians should forgive those who sin against them. And I want us to do this by looking uh, at the context of the Lord's Prayer. Take a look back at that fifth petition in verse 12 and specifically that phrase, and forgive us our debts. So if you remember, the Lord's Prayer is a model 
where King Jesus is teaching us how we should pray. And one of the things that he tells us that we should regularly do is that we should ask our Father, verse 9, to forgive our debts, verse 12. And I don't want you to miss this assumption here that Jesus assumes for every Christian that this language of Lord forgive me or something like it is regularly on the lips of his followers. Now what does that mean? Several things. Number one, it means that that this is a full-throated confession that Christians are still regularly sinning against God after their conversion. If this were not the case, we wouldn't have to ask for it. And so there's this continual, ongoing, indwelling sin in the life of a Christian. But not just that. Not just, you know, this awareness of, yeah, I've sinned. Jesus is assuming that our sin is bothering us enough that we would take it before our Father in heaven and say, Lord, please forgive me. Take that debt and wipe it clean. And that's important. There's plenty of lost people that give lip service to sin in the form of, yeah, we all sin. There's something different going on in the heart of a Christian that it's not this throwaway phrase, yeah, we all sin. They hate it. They hate their sin. There's nothing that a Christian loves more than God. There's nothing that a Christian loves more than the Father who is in heaven. He's our treasure. We love Him. Therefore, there is nothing that grieves a Christian's heart more than the thought and the awareness that they have grieved their Father who is in heaven. That phrase is pregnant. I mean, it's it's just coming out. That Christians sin and they really care about it and they are regularly. You say, where are you getting that phrase regularly? If you back up to verse 11, Jesus says that we ask for our daily bread. That, that the Lord's Prayer is that model that we're bringing these things daily before the Lord, regularly before the Lord. Lord, I sinned. Please forgive me. Now, we mentioned this uh, last week that the forgiveness that a Christian seeks is not re-justification from God the judge. It's really important that you understand that. You remember the cartoons of the, of the, of the little girls growing up with the flower. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And wherever you land on that day, maybe he loves you. Maybe he doesn't. It's not that. It's not getting re-justified, re-justified, re-justified. There is a powerful work of grace that has happened one time forever for the Christian. God has declared us righteous in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's never repeated because it never has to be. It never has to be. So this is not seeking re-justification from God the judge, but this is seeking forgiveness in the sense of restoring our communion with God the Father whom we love. Our sin grieves our God. 
Our sin grieves us. There's that conscious that's awakened when we sin. And we take that before the Lord and we pray this fifth petition. Father, forgive us our debts. And that's not it. And that's not it. And we could, and we could say this all across the room, that it, that it doesn't stop there, that our Father actually answers that request. Amen? We ask for forgiveness, and what does God give to all of His children who are in Christ? Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so not only are we in this daily relationship with an awareness of our sin, we're in this daily relationship with the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We are Jesus people. That when God, when the Holy Spirit makes us aware of our sin and we take it to our God, He forgives us. The Lord's Prayer teaches us this is the normal Christian life. That we go to our Father daily. The one who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Daily reminded of sin. And daily reminded of grace. This is why Christians love the cross. This is why Christians love the gospel more than anything else. Why? Because we know that this is why and how God forgives us. This is the only way God forgives anyone. is through the cross of Jesus Christ. The mercy of God flows from the cross because at the cross, the justice of God was satisfied. The cross is the answer to our dilemma. At the cross, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so you see this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are in a daily relationship with grace, with the grace of God. A Christian lives by grace. This is foundational. This is foundational. Before we ever get to verse 14, we live by grace. We have been delivered out of the old system, the system of works, the system of merit, the system of earn it, the system of pay what you owe. We've been delivered out of that system. Hallelujah. Praise to the living God. And Christ has brought us into the system, the kingdom of grace. The kingdom of, of freely receive what you did not earn. And soon the Lord Jesus is going to bring us to the kingdom of glory. And I want us to remember that this morning. Christians are citizens of the kingdom of mercy. Not the kingdom of merit. We are citizens of the kingdom of mercy. Isaiah 55 describes the freeness of the, gift of, of the gift of God. The freeness of it. He says, come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. This is grace. You don't have any money, come by what you need. You don't have any resources. Come freely receive. This is the call of the gospel. 
Our old motto was pay what you owe or to prison you go. But our new motto is freely I have received. Therefore, freely I give. Brothers and sisters, this is what it means to be a Christian. That we live by the grace of God. And the assumption of the Lord's prayer is that this has already happened to you. There's, this, there's an assumption being made here. Jesus is talking to people in verse 9 that know God is their father in heaven. And that's really important. That what God calls us to in verses 14 and 15, this is supernatural stuff. Christian, you can't live the Christian life any more than you can save yourself. You need Christ to live the Christian life. And so I want you to consider this this morning. Don't get stuck in this trap of trying to live the Christian life without Jesus. You need the transforming grace of God. And so I want to ask you this this morning. Has grace wounded you? Have you ever been wounded by the grace of God? If the wounds of a friend are faithful, how much more the wounds of the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of sin? Have you been wounded by grace? Have you trembled in your guilt before the holy God of heaven and earth? Have you been made aware of the debt that you owe, not to your mom or your friend or whoever, but to your God? Have you trembled before this thought of standing before this God on the final day and the one with all power rendering to you and paying to you what you deserve? Have you been drawn by grace? Have you been compelled by the grace of God? Have you bowed ever before in sheer amazement at the cross of Jesus of how, Lord, could you ever forgive a sinner like me? Why would you send Jesus for me? The cross. Do you love the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you love it? Do you love the gospel of the grace of God, the free pardon? The full pardon, the undeserved pardon for sinners on the merits of Jesus Christ alone. And I want to remind you, the grace of God, this changes everything. This changes everything about you. This changes everything about eternity. It changes everything that matters is being transformed by the grace of God. Saved by the grace of God. Do you know grace? Have you been delivered out of that kingdom of merit? Of pay what you owe? And have you come to know the Lord Jesus? I want to remind you this morning that every single person that comes to Jesus Christ with repentance and with faith, He gives you grace. He turns none away. He turns none away. In fact, in John 6, verse 37, Jesus says this, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast you out. I will never cast you out. And so we have a Savior with arms wide open that says if you come to Him, 
you will not be banished away. He's the Savior. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save you from your sins. You need the grace of God. You need the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, be gloriously reminded this morning that the Christian life is dependent on grace. A Christian is a debtor to grace. A Christian loves the, the gospel, loves the cross. A Christian loves the mercy of God. It's just a given. This, this is everything to us. It's the treasure in the field. Therefore, look how fitting it is that there would be a link in this passage between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. Look how fitting this connection is. Look how fitting it is that we would receive grace and that we would turn and extend, guess what, grace to others. The same thing that we have received freely from God. We would give that same thing to others. It's fitting. Those who are the most merciful to other people. Are the most aware of God's mercy to them. You want to know the secret of forgiving sins? You get obsessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Those who are amazed that God could ever forgive their unpayable debt will not withhold forgiveness from another. I love the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says it this way. True forgiveness breaks a man. It breaks a man then he must forgive others. That's what it means to be saved. Receiving grace from God changed everything. It broke that old system of merit. It smashed it to smithereens. And we must extend what we have received from God. And so there's a fittingness to this connection between God's forgiveness and ours. But I want us to understand that this condition can never mean, cannot mean, a connection of merit. And I keep using that word. I want you to make, make sure you understand it. Merit means something that you earn. That you earn it. We cannot earn our way to heaven. That's the whole reason why we need Jesus. We need to be saved. We need another to appear on our behalf to live the life that we can never live and to pay the, the debt that we can never pay. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn our way to heaven. And even more specifically, we cannot forgive our way to heaven. Can't forgive your way to heaven. See, I Schofield this is one of the founders of modern day dispensational theology. He's the author, author of the Schofield Reference Bible at one time, and maybe it still is the most popular uh, uh, study Bible in the world. C.I. Schofield gets this completely wrong. Here's, how he's, here's his comment on verse 14. He says that our forgiveness of others in verse 14 functions as the legal grounds of God's forgiveness of us. I want to read that again and make sure you understand it. 
Our forgiveness of other people. In verse 14 functions as the legal grounds of God's forgiveness of us. I want to make sure you understand what that means. He's saying that God will forgive us on the final day because on the basis of our forgiveness of others. And I want to say this as nicely as I possibly can. That's baloney. And I want to be charitable here and give credit where credit is due. That when you get some things right, you need to say that. There is absolutely nothing true about that statement. There is nothing true about that statement. That the legal grounds... The basis on which God will forgive us on the final day is always and only the bloody death of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation and nothing else ever, ever. The basis of our forgiveness is that the Lamb died instead of us. The Lamb died instead of us. God will never forgive us because we forgive Someone else. This is a trumped up version of be nice and God will be nice to you. That's a false gospel. That's that merit system. That's that work system. The legal grounds of our forgiveness is the cross of Jesus Christ. The death of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. The work of Christ. And the way that we receive forgiveness from God is through believing the gospel. Through believing the gospel. So Jesus has done what we could not do for ourselves. How is his record imputed to us? And the Bible is clear about this over and over and over again. Faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Jesus alone is the savior. And we partake of this salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so your forgiveness of others is never the ground, the basis on which God will forgive you. But your forgiveness of others is a sign of your salvation. It's an evidence of your salvation. It is fruit of a transformed heart. And so what is Jesus calling us to in verses 14 and 15? Jesus would not have you to forgive someone to merit your salvation. But Jesus commands us here to manifest the salvation that we already have by the grace of God. And so there's a connection here. It's not a connection of merit, but it's this necessary evidence. Necessary evidence. And this is how Jesus presents it to us. He as a necessity, not as an option. Okay? So, so think about this. Why is this important? What's important for the person that says this? I prayed the prayer when I was, you know, 18. And I don't obey Jesus, you know, when I don't want to. So if I don't want to forgive someone, you know, I don't forgive them. But I'm saved because I prayed the prayer when I was 18 years old. That won't fly here. That won't fly here. There's an unbreakable connection that Jesus makes between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness. And so one of the fruits of saving faith, Jesus is showing us this here, will be our forgiving of others who sin against us. 
That's a fruit of saving faith. You can't be saved apart from saving faith. But you'll never be saved by dead faith. Dead faith doesn't give you Jesus Christ. Saving faith gives you Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying saving faith bears fruit. It's not dead. It's alive. It brings forth fruit. And one of those fruits, brothers and sisters, is a forgiving heart. A forgiving heart. And so again, the negative also works. If you lack this fruit, Jesus clearly teaches God will not forgive you. I'll say that again. If you lack this fruit, verse 15, Jesus clearly teaches this here. You have no reason to expect forgiveness from God. But again, come back to the nature of the connection. Say, what do you mean? Do you mean I got to work it up? You mean I got to make sure I do it enough times? No, you're missing, you're missing the connection here. It's not that God won't forgive you because you haven't done enough. It's, but rather that your unforgiveness reveals that you never truly trusted Jesus. You need to go back to the root of repentance and faith. And you need to get right with God. You need a transformed heart. So don't get stuck in this cycle of, oh, i got to forgive so God will forgive me. You need to be saved. You need to be right with God. There is a very serious, very serious, I'll say it again, very serious and real warning in verse 15. How dangerous is it to nurse grudges? How dangerous is it to, 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 to just stay offended? I want you to think about this in your own heart. How dangerous is it to keep a record of wrongs? How dangerous is it to bolt on a relationship, on, on an offense? You leave and never make it right? You're offended and you say, don't talk to me anymore. I'm moving on. How dangerous is this stuff? And the plain teaching of verse 15 is this, that's dangerous as hell. Look at, look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 15. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Unforgiveness is not a little sin. And this is one of the things that Jesus is trying to wake us up to. Unforgiveness is not a little sin. It's a damnable sin. It's as dangerous as, as having all your sins spread before God on the final day. And God paying you what is owed. Think about how there's nothing more terrifying than this. There is nothing more terrifying than the record of everything that you have done wrong. All of, all of creation gathered before him. Revelation 20. He's there with such majesty that the earth and sky want to flee away from this God. The Bible says that on that day books will be opened. And the dead will be judged according to the books. Imagine this. How terrible it is for everything that you've ever done to be brought before the holy presence of the judge of all the earth. And in that moment, instead of hearing forgiven, not guilty, saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus is warning us about hearing this terrible verdict. 
guilty. Bind him and throw him into outer darkness where the fire is not quenched, where the worm does not die. Cast in the lake that burns with fire forever. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so I hope you understand this morning, the plain teaching of Jesus Christ is that those who say, I won't forgive. I mean, I'm not going to like bomb their house or anything, but I'm not forgiving them, you know. Or I can't forgive them or I won't forgive them. The person who speaks like this and thinks like this, this is revealing a terrible root problem in that person's heart. Those who harden themselves in a path of unforgiveness, Jesus teaches, can only expect the judgment of God. Now, Jesus illustrates this unforgiving, uh, this unforgiveness in a parable in Matthew 18. And I want to ask you to turn there. It's referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. We're going to read this together, beginning in verse 21. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to them, to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. Okay. And you're going to get the you're going to get the point of this. So the context of the parable that Jesus is about to tell is dealing with this disposition in Peter to to draw limits to his forgiveness of his brother. And obviously the point here is not to start, you know, checking boxes of 71 times, 72 times, 73 times. You got four more, 75 times. That's not the point. And you're going to see this in Jesus's parable. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, take a quick look at the ESV footnote there. A talent is about 20 years wages. So you do that quick math, 10,000 times 20. This is a lot of money. And even more than that, this is an unpayable debt. Even if you work 20 years straight, you got 10,000 uh, more of those to go. This is an unpayable debt. That's the point of the parable. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him said, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, you should circle that word in your Bible, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So imagine in this parable, imagine you owe this unpayable debt and then all of a sudden, that word in verse 27, one decision of the master, debt is wiped clean forever. 
Verse 28. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Look really quick to your ESV footnote and denarii is a day's wage. So a hundred days wages, about three months wages. So, so understand the comparison here. He found his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. But when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I'd had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so I want you to see in this parable, Jesus, you know, puts meat, meat on the bones of this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us an illustration. So we talked about how fitting it is that Christians extend mercy that we have received. And in this parable, it shows us how unfitting it is when we don't. And, and even more than that, how wicked it is. For those who receive grace and mercy from God, not to extend that grace and mercy to others. And so I have several takeaways to mention here. And, the, and, and three from this parable and three uh, back in Matthew 6. And the first is this. In other words, if we're asking the question, Lord, I want to obey you in this. I fear you. I want to please you. Lord Jesus, I want to obey you. How do we do it? Practical takeaway number one. This, and this comes uh, from the parable in Matthew 18 that we just read. One is that every one of us ought to remember that we owe an incalculable sin debt to God. It's so good for you to remind yourself of that. Not just that somebody else owes it, you owe it. Not just, you know, that person that did that thing over there, they're guilty. It is so good for you to remember the truth about yourself that you owe an un incalculable debt to God. Do you understand that language? Incalculable. Not only can you not pay what you owe, I don't even think you can count and quantify the debt that you owe to God for your sins. And every one of us are in a good place when we are daily remembering the truth about ourselves. That we have a debt that we owe to God that we cannot pay. And then closely following that, we get the nature of this master in this parable. Every one of us, number two, ought to remember that the master is merciful and willing to forgive an incalculable debt. 
Psalm 30, 130 verse 4 uh, is, is a praise unto the Lord. And it says this, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You need to know that about your God. That with our God is forgiveness. He is a merciful master. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And His very name is He will be merciful to whom He will show mercy. Our God is merciful. And then number three from this parable in Matthew 18. Every one of us ought to remember that the mercy shown to us through the gospel came to us completely free apart from works. So good for you to remember that, that that status that you have received, that righteousness that you have been granted, it's a garment that you wear. It's a garment that you wear, but it's not meant to start strutting around as though you did something to earn it. This is the righteousness of another that we are clothed in. It is the gift of God, the free gift of God, not of works. Listen, so that no man may boast. It is so good for us to remember that. And even daily. And there's a, there's a connection here. If this is the fountain that you're drinking from. I'm a sinner before God. My Father is merciful. And all the grace that I've, I've been given is undeserved. Look, how, look, how, look how, how well positioned you are right now for the mercy of God to flow out of you to others. So there's this fitting connection between the vertical and the horizontal. Some of you have heard us talk about this for years, that we, we have received grace vertically. God has been gracious to us, and we ought to bend that out horizontally to others. And the horizontal ought to match the vertical. There ought not to be a disparity there. In other words, how unfitting is it to receive grace from God vertically and to bend out merit to everybody that you're around? It's unfitting. Three practical takeaways from Matthew 6. We want to live this out. And I'll roll through these quickly. Make sure, brothers and sisters, that when you forgive, you're, you're using the right measuring stick, the right standard. Okay? Um, and we saw this in Peter's heart in that parable, Matthew 18. How many times? And if you're honest, you, you ask this of the Lord. Jesus, how many times? I mean, you don't understand how hard-headed they are. You don't understand how much they hurt me. How many times, Lord? And the measure that Jesus calls us to is not until you've had it up to here. Right? I mean, I've had it up to here forgiven you. That's not the standard of the kingdom of God. The standard is the gospel. As Christ has forgiven you. That's what you bend out to others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Listen. As God in Christ forgave you. Raise your hand if you want God to start keeping a ledger. I've forgiven you 72 times. 73 times, 74 times. Who wants to get on that plan? Nobody. Nobody. We bend the same thing out to others. How do we do this? How in the world can we forgive as Christ has, given, has forgiven us only by the power of Jesus? You can't bootstrap this. You know, you can fake a lot of stuff. You can't fake this. 
You need the power of Christ. You need the help of grace. Jesus says this in John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from Jesus. And so you should trust Jesus for power to obey Jesus. Number two, make sure, brothers and sisters, when you forgive that you're doing it from the heart. From the heart. Jesus is not calling us to that righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, that external only obedience. It's not this. It's not the person that says, I really don't want to forgive them. But I heard that stuff right there about hell and I don't want to go to hell. I really don't want to forgive them, but I don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to do it anyway. That is not what Jesus is calling us to here. And he's definitely not calling us to mouth those empty words, I forgive you and not mean it. Which is why the last thing he says in Matthew 18 is he references forgiving your brother, listen, from the heart. It's a sincere disposition of the heart that entrusts payment and judgment to God. How do, but how do you do this? How do you forgive from the heart when you don't want to? Same answer. Only by the power of Christ. Only by the power of Christ. John 15, 5. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And so you have to trust Jesus to obey Jesus. You need Him. Number three. Make sure your aim in forgiveness is the glory of God. Is the glory of God. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says this. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense world that you live in says it is your weakness to overlook an offense you need to put some steel in your spine you need to stand up for yourself sister and let them have it let them know they don't need to do that again that's weakness to just wash it away to wipe the record clean. And the Bible says, actually, it's the exact opposite. It's glory. It is our glory to overlook an offense. You say, why? Do you realize that this is one of the greatest opportunities that we have to show what God is like? It's, you know, some of us might be praying even now, Lord, open up a door for me to serve you. One of the greatest opportunities that we have to show what God is like to this world is how we respond when we are sinned against. It is our glory to be like God. And God is a God of mercy and forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, let's make it our aim to live with a clear conscience that's able to say with sincerity, Lord, I forgive all who have wronged me. And may God help us to live this out. Let's pray. Lord, we call on your name. Today, you are Jesus. Lord, thank you, God, for allowing us to sing your praise today. Jesus, we love you. We even sang to you, how could our hearts turn away from you? God, please help us in this area. We want to be like you, Lord. We need your help. 
We need your power. We need your mercy. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.